The Old Testament reading is Exodus 31, 12 through 18. The New Testament reading is Mark 2, 23 through 28, Exodus 31, 12, Mark 2, 23. <clears throat> I would encourage you to come to the afternoon service. We do not do the same thing all over again there. We sing a little bit. Uh, we, we do pray corporately also, which is very important. And then I preach through these uh, theological truths that are presented to us in the catechism. And I would even encourage you, even if you know these truths, even if they're very familiar to you, maybe just come and rejoice in the fact that they're being proclaimed consistently in this body. Uh, but I do hope that also the preaching is uh, insightful to you and that it would equip especially parents to go ahead and digest this and give it to their children as well. So please come to the afternoon service. Now we will go to the reading of God's most holy word, Exodus 31, 12 through 18. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Let us go now to Mark chapter 2 and read verses 23 through 28. Mark 2:23 One Sabbath he that is Jesus was going through the grain fields and as they made their way his disciples began to pluck heads of grain and the Pharisees were saying to him look why are you why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath and he said to them have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, which is a reference to himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. So far, the reading of God's most holy word, may he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. One question we might ask ourselves about our text here in Exodus chapter 31 is this. Why was it necessary for Sabbath keeping to be commanded in the book of Exodus, not once, not twice, but three times in such a short space? Indeed, this is now the third time that Israel was commanded to honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The first mention of Sabbath keeping in the book of Exodus is found in chapter 16, where instructions were given for the collection of manna as they wandered in the wilderness. Manna was to be collected daily by the people of Israel. On the sixth day, a double portion was to be gathered so that the people might rest and worship on the seventh day. The second mention of Sabbath keeping is found in Exodus chapter 20, wherein the Lord speaks the Ten Commandments to Israel on Mount Sinai. It is the fourth of the Ten Commandments which says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And now here in Exodus 31, Sabbath observance is commanded yet again. And I think we could even say that it is commanded in a most forceful way. Those who break the Sabbath are to be put to death, this text says. And so I am asking, why the repetition? Firstly, and most obviously, the repetition stresses the importance of the matter. The people of Israel were to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so important was this issue that it was stated not once, not twice, but three times to Israel in a short period of time. Secondly, I think it can be argued that each one of these instances wherein Sabbath observance is commanded 
brings with it a special emphasis upon some particular truth regarding the Sabbath day. So I do not think this is um, mere repetition. Uh, This is not strict repetition, but repetition with some diversity in it. And with each instance, I think some particular truth regarding the Sabbath day is, is brought to the forefront. For example, in Exodus 16, we learn that Israel was expected to honor the Sabbath in the wilderness before the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. I think this is very significant. It shows that knowledge concerning the observance of the Sabbath day was present in the world before the fourth of the Ten Commandments was uttered by God as He transacted the old Mosaic covenant with Israel. Can you see why that is significant? Uh, That the Sabbath was not first instituted there at Mount Sinai, but the knowledge of Sabbath keeping was present in the world even prior to that. We learn that from Exodus chapter 16. At Exodus 16, and the event there regarding the collection of manna confirms that knowledge, the knowledge and practice of Sabbath keeping was preserved amongst the people of God in that period from Adam to Moses. What special thing do we learn about the Sabbath from Exodus 20? Well, it is interesting that God commanded that the Sabbath be kept while giving the Ten Commandments, which clearly contains a summary of the moral law. The command to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. It concludes the first section of the law, which has to do with the proper worship of God. It is surrounded by other laws that are universal and unchanging. God alone is to be worshipped, not with images. His name is not to be taken in vain. And as it pertains to our relationship with fellow human beings, God's law requires the honor of father and mother and forbids murder, adultery, bearing false witness, theft, and covetousness. And if you were here for those sermons on the Ten Commandments, you will remember that there are some things stated within the Ten Commandments that were unique to Old Covenant Israel. I'm acknowledging that here in passing. But the point that I'm making is that the command to observe the Sabbath day has an unchanging moral core to it. God alone is to be worshipped. And the Lord created the world in such a way and has commanded that one day in seven be observed as holy to the Lord as a day for rest and worship. The point is this. It was not only Old Covenant Israel who was commanded to observe the Sabbath day, But all of humanity descended from Adam even to this present day. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Did you hear that statement from from Mark chapter 2, which was read just a moment ago? Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. One point that is often missed is that the Sabbath day was, was created not just for Israel, but for mankind. It was for all of mankind. God alone is to be worshipped, not with images, with reverence for His name. And as it pertains to the time of worship, humanity is to follow this this pattern of one day out of every seven. One day out of seven is to be devoted as a day holy unto the Lord for rest and for worship. And I think that the fact that this commandment was placed within the heart of the Ten Commandments helps us to see its universal importance. So, Those passages commanding Sabbath keeping in Exodus 16 and 20 both make special contributions to our understanding of the Sabbath day. Now, what particular truth about the Sabbath is emphasized here in Exodus 31, 12 through 18? We've heard about the Sabbath day and the importance of observing it once and twice. Now, for the third time here in Exodus 31, 12 through 18, what special or particular truth about the Sabbath is emphasized here. Well, I would like for you to consider the context very carefully. After the old Mosaic covenant was confirmed with Israel in Exodus chapter 24, Moses went up on the mountain and into the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights. There he received instructions for the building of the tabernacle, the clothing and the consecration of the priests. And there he was told that Bazalel and his servant Aholiab were to oversee the work of building the tabernacle. We've been considering all of that for some time now. After that, we come to our text for today, wherein Sabbath observance is commanded again. And then finally in verses 
in verse 18 of Exodus 31, we are told of the end of Moses' time up on the mountain with God. Uh, There we learn that the Lord gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So you can see that this entire section, which runs from Exodus 25 through 31, describing the instructions that Moses received from the Lord while up on the mountain concerning the design and building of the tabernacle and all of its accoutrements, concludes with a command to keep the Sabbath. This entire section that has to do with the building of the tabernacle concludes with a command to keep the Sabbath day. And here I want you to see the tight connection between the Sabbath day and the tabernacle. The two things, the tabernacle and the Sabbath day, are intimately related with one another. Well, how so? In two ways, at least. One, the tabernacle was for worship. And the Sabbath day was to be a day set apart for worship. The Sabbath day was and is a day for worship. It is a day for convocation. It's a day for assembling together. If the Sabbath was neglected under the Old Covenant, so too the tabernacle would be neglected. For the Sabbath day was a day to assemble at the tabernacle and to worship the Lord. Two, I will argue that the tabernacle and the Sabbath day both signify the same thing. The tabernacle and the Sabbath day both signify or point forward to the same thing, namely, eternal rest in the presence of God in the new heavens and earth purchased by Christ through His life, death, and resurrection. As I've said, the tabernacle and the Sabbath day are intimately related with to, to one another, and Exodus 31 helps us to see this, this entire section having to do with the construction of the tabernacle is concluded with this third insistence that Israel observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Let us go now to our text. I'll try to explain further as we go. In verses 12 through 13 of Exodus 31, we read, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. The word Sabbath means a day of rest. As I've said, this day of rest was instituted for the first time, not in the days of Moses, but when God created the heavens and earth. He took six days to create the heavens and earth and all that is within and rested or ceased from his work of creation on the seventh day as a pattern for us to follow. Genesis 2.3 says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work He had done in creation. The command to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy was not unique to Israel, therefore, but was and is for all of Adam's descendants. God alone is to be worshipped, not with images. His name is to be revered, and one day out of seven is to be honored and set apart as holy unto Him. It is a day to cease from common activities. It is a day for public and private worship. From the creation of the world to the resurrection of Christ, it was the seventh day, a memorial of the first creation. And from the resurrection of Christ to the end of the world, the Sabbath day is the first day of the week. It is a memorial, not only of the original creation, but of the new creation earned by Christ through His life, death, and and resurrection. Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is the Lord's Day Sabbath. On it we remember the new creation that He earned, the new creation that broke forth and entered into human history when He accomplished His work, rose from the dead, and ascended to the Father. Though it is true that the Sabbath was not only for Old Covenant Israel, it is also true that a special obligation was placed upon them to observe it under the covenant that God made with them in the days of Moses. Who is to keep the Sabbath day? We would say, well, all people are obligated to do so, just as all people are obligated to worship God in the way that He has prescribed. So too, all people ought to observe the Sabbath day. But a special obligation was set upon Old Covenant Israel because they had been redeemed and set apart as God's holy people. 
This is why Moses was commanded to speak to Israel, saying, Above all, you must keep my Sabbath. The, the words above all can also be translated as surely or you must. I, I think I prefer those translations. The words above all can give the English reader the impression that this commandment is superior to all others. In fact, the Hebrew word simply communicates that something is really important and ought not to be neglected. Above all, or surely, you must keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you, throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I have said that the Sabbath was not for Israel only, but for all people. And I would like to explain this a little bit in more detail before returning to the point that Israel has a special obligation, or had a special obligation, to keep the Sabbath day. How do we know that the Sabbath was not for Old Covenant Israel only, but was and is for all people? I want to present to you five reasons very briefly. Firstly, we know that the Sabbath day was not for Israel only by paying attention to when it was first instituted. It was first instituted not while God transacted the Old Covenant with Israel in the days of Moses, but at creation when God made that covenant with Adam in the garden, the covenant of creation, also called the Adamic covenant or the covenant of works. Adam, Eve, and all their descendants were and are to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Secondly, it is confirmed that the Sabbath was to be observed by all and not Old Covenant Israel only. In the book of Exodus itself In two instances, one, Israel, or some within Israel, knew the Sabbath was to be observed before the giving of the Law of Moses at Sinai. This fact, as I have already said, is recorded for us in Exodus 16. And two, when the Sabbath command was first given to Israel, it was not delivered to them within a collection of laws that were unique to them, but was placed at the very heart of the Ten Commandments, which clearly contains a summary of God's moral law. That moral law was not unique to Israel, but is binding on all people living in all times and places. Do you remember how I taught you about the law of God in previous sermons? How within the law of Moses we find moral, civil, and ceremonial laws. Right after the Ten Commandments are given, there are laws that were unique to Israel given to them. Laws having to do with ceremonial things and civil things. But the Ten Commandments are moral It must be acknowledged, yes, that there are a few things said in the Ten Commandments that were unique to Israel. Again, I've spoken about this in more detail in the past, but I think that most would agree that the Ten Commandments summarize God's universal and everlasting moral law. If I were to ask you the question, who is to worship God, not with images and with reverence for His name? If I were to ask you, who ought never to dishonor parents, murder, commit adultery, steal, lie, and covet? I doubt any would say, well, that was for Israel only. You know, that was for Israel only, but, but for us these things are, are not required, or for us these things are permitted. Uh, no, I, I think all would, would, would intuitively notice that there, there's something universal about these Ten Commandments. These are moral issues that apply to all people, living in all times and in all places. So I do find it puzzling that people, even professing Christians, look at the fourth of the Ten Commandments and think that it is, it is an exception to the rule here. Well, this one was unique to Old Covenant Israel, but, but for us living now under the New Covenant, it no longer applies. It does apply. This fourth commandment has a moral core to it. It speaks to the issue of time that is to be devoted to the worship of God. Our, our confession of faith is very precise and helpful on this point. I'd like to read to you the Second London Confession, uh, chapter 22, paragraph 7, because it does succinctly uh, communicate the truth of, of, this, of this great doctrine. It says, As it is the law of nature that in general a proportion of time by God's appointment be set aside for worship, the worship of God, you, you hear what is being said here, even, non, even non-Christians, even those in other religions, world religions, they know that, that God is to be worshipped regularly. A, a proportion of time is to be set aside for the worship of God. This is a part of the law of nature. There's something within the heart of man that just intuitively knows this. Our confession continues. So by His Word, in a positive moral, 
and perpetual commandment, binding all men in all ages, he has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath, the observation of the last day of the week being abolished. I know I have been repetitive in this sermon so far, uh, but the point that I am wanting to drive home is this. The placement of the Sabbath command at the heart of the Ten Commandments makes it clear that there is something moral, there is something unchanging about it. Thirdly, we know that the practice of Sabbath observance remains under the New Covenant because Christ, the mediator of the New Covenant, kept the Sabbath taught His disciples to properly observe the Sabbath, and even claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. That is very significant. You heard it in Mark 2. Christ Himself said that He, the Son of Man, is Lord of the Sabbath. Yes, I do know that Jesus lived under the Old Covenant and was was obliged to observe the Sabbath day under Moses. But, But my point is this. He kept it. He also taught His disciples to properly observe it, And he claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. This means that he had the authority to change the day. It also means that he expected his disciples to honor the Sabbath day as a sign of his lordship over them. That is what is taught in Exodus 31, by the way. The Sabbath was to be observed by Old Covenant Israel as a sign of their unique relationship to Yahweh. Yahweh had set them apart as His holy people. Yahweh was their Lord in a special way. He is Lord of all, of course, but He was their Lord in a special way because He had entered into this covenantal relationship with them. And the same thing is true under the new covenant. The Sabbath remains for us. The day has changed, yes, because of the new creation worked through Christ. Uh, But the same thing is signified as we observe the Lord's Day Sabbath and keep it holy. It is a sign of God's Lordship over us. It is a sign of Christ's Lordship over us. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And when we cease from our work, when we cease from our common recreations, and we treat this day as holy unto the Lord, in fact, we are saying to the world and even to one another, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of the Sabbath, and so we are worshiping God through faith in Him in the way that He has prescribed, one day in seven, being devoted to Him as holy. It's a very important point to recognize. Jesus claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath, not so that He might throw the thing away when He rose from the dead, but so that He might be honored through the observance of the Sabbath day by His people, even under the new covenant ratified in His blood. Fourthly, we know that the Sabbath day was not confined to the Old Covenant, but remains now under the New Covenant because the New Testament explicitly says so. So if you are a Biblicist and you want chapter and verse, where does the Bible say the Sabbath remains? You know, I, I think Biblicism is a big problem and we don't need to do our theology that way. Uh, so I'm being a bit sarcastic here. But if you must have a chapter and verse, where does the, the New Testament say that the Sabbath remains under the New Covenant, I would say you must go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9. There it is explicitly stated. Hebrews 4 deals with this subject of the Sabbath. And it says in verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And the meaning is this. If the Greek is considered, it is very clear what the meaning is. So then the religious practice of Sabbath keeping remains for the people of God living now under the new covenant. That is what the word translated as Sabbath rest means. It means the religious practice of Sabbath keeping. This practice of honoring one day out of seven as holy unto the Lord, it remains. It remains for the people of God now. And in fact, the entire argument that the writer to the Hebrews makes leads us to that conclusion that the Sabbath... Uh, The Sabbath, uh, its significance has not yet come. We still await the new heavens and new earth. And so we go on keeping the Sabbath day, the Lord's Day Sabbath now, the first day of the week, until we enter into the full and final and eschatological Sabbath rest of God. Fifthly, and perhaps most importantly, we must see, as I have just said, 
that observing the Sabbath and keeping it holy was not restricted to Old Covenant Israel only, but was before the Old Covenant and remains now under the New, given that the thing that the Sabbath signifies, namely eternal rest in the presence of God in the new heavens and earth, is not yet here. Is the thing that the Sabbath signifies here yet? If if you know what the Sabbath is a sign of, you should say, no, it is not, at least not fully, not in full. And so, because of this, the pattern of one day of rest and six days of work remains. By the way, the pattern is one day of rest and six days of work. That should not be ignored. We as Christians should have a robust doctrine of work. We ought to be diligent in what the Lord has called us to do. Uh, We ought to be faithful to, to to not... squander our days or to be found idle, but to be diligent to do what the Lord has called us to do. The pattern remains because the thing of which the Sabbath is a sign is not yet here, namely our eternal rest in the new heavens and earth. I wonder if you remember the point that was made in the sermon last Sunday regarding those two themes, the theme of the kingdom of God and the tabernacle or temple of God, Tying the whole story of the Bible regarding our creation, fall, redemption in Christ, and consummation together. I'm sure you remember this theme. It was central to the sermon last Sunday. I I said to you, listen, church, um, I have have told you that you can tell the whole story of the Bible using the term kingdom. Uh, The kingdom was offered to Adam but forfeited, promised in the declaration of the gospel in Genesis uh, 3.15, prefigured in Old Covenant Israel, inaugurated at Christ's first coming, and the kingdom will be consummated when Christ returns. I then said you could use the same terms and apply it to the theme of tabernacle or temple, right? The tabernacle or temple was offered to Adam, but forfeited, promised, prefigured, inaugurated, now that Christ has come so that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but it will be consummated at the end of time. I'm not going to spend much time on this point, but I want you to see that you can do the same thing with the theme of Sabbath. You can do the exact same thing with the theme of Sabbath. When was the Sabbath instituted? Right after God made the heavens and the earth, it was instituted with Adam and in connection with that covenant of works that was transacted with him. In other words, What did the Sabbath offer to Adam? Did you hear the word offer? What did the Sabbath day, the practice of Sabbath keeping, offer to Adam? It communicated to him in the garden temple and in that kingdom. It it communicated to him that, Adam, if you will work faithfully in this garden, if you will keep it, if you will expand its borders, if you will do this faithfully during this time of testing, then one day you will be invited to enter into God's Sabbath rest, His eternal rest. Do you see it? So the tree of life signified this. It was an offer of life eternal, life beyond what Adam enjoyed there in the garden. Yes. Uh, The terms of the covenant itself communicated this offer. And also the presence of the Sabbath day, this practice of Sabbath keeping, even in the Garden of Eden, communicated that through work, Adam, you will enter into, you and your posterity will enter into eternal, full, final, and consummate rest, the rest of God. So Adam was offered that. Did he obtain it? No, that's, that's where we begin, the story of redemption. But because God is gracious... He declared the gospel even in Adam's presence. And so, in a sense, the Sabbath was promised to to Adam and to his descendants. He would not enter in through his own work, but his descendants, at least the elect of God from amongst his descendants, would enter in through uh, the finished work of of the Messiah and through faith in him. And I am saying to you that this, this Sabbath rest was prefigured in Old Covenant Israel. It was prefigured in Old Covenant Israel. It's not hard to see, actually. Israel was in bondage to the Egyptians, and they were redeemed. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. That, in fact, is a picture of our sojourning now, isn't it? 
we've been redeemed, and now we are sojourning in the wilderness. But what happened with Israel in the days of Joshua? Yeshua, Jesus. What, what happened in the days of Joshua? Israel entered into the land, and they conquered it. And they were established in the land, and they began to rest there. Their borders were secure, their enemies had been defeated, and I am saying that that was a kind of picture of the eternal Sabbath rest that we will enjoy in the new heavens and new earth. In fact, if you read the book of Hebrews, you will see that the writer of the Hebrews makes much of this. The writer of the Hebrews acknowledges that that was a kind of picture of eternal Sabbath rest, but it was not the fullness of it. It was not the fullness of it. I might ask you now, do we rest in Christ? Now that he has come. Yes, we do. Christ is our rest. Christ himself has entered into rest. He ascended and then what did he do? He sat down having finished his work. So this eternal Sabbath rest of which the Sabbath day is a sign has been inaugurated. But we have not entered into it fully and finally. When will that happen? Uh, That will happen at the end of time when Christ returns to judge and to make all things new, when all of his enemies are made a footstool to him, you see. And so we await the consummation of the thing of which the Sabbath day is a sign. I actually took a bit longer on that point than I thought it was going to. But I think it is important to see. This is the fifth and, and, and final observation that I made in, in regards to the question Does the Sabbath day remain, or does it transcend the old Mosaic covenant? Yes, because the thing of which the Lord's day Sabbath, the Sabbath day is a sign, is not here yet. It's here in inaugurated form. It is not here in a consummated way. So as you consider the Sabbath day in terms of it being offered, promised, prefigured, inaugurated, and consummated, perhaps you could better understand both why the practice of keeping the Sabbath remains And why the day of the week has changed when Christ rose from the dead. Do you see how both things are clarified in the mind as we consider the inauguration of our Sabbath rest? It remains because the Sabbath rest of God has not yet been consummated. But the day has changed because a great advancement in this theme of Sabbath was made at Christ's first coming. He came and He did the work as God's faithful servant. He came and He suffered on our behalf. He went into the grave after He died and He rose again. He earned the new creation. He ascended and He sat down. So there was a great advancement made as it pertains to the Sabbath. Remember I said what was communicated to Adam through the the weekly Sabbath? Adam, if you will work, if you will work faithfully, then you will be invited to enter into eternal rest. Six days of work. One day of rest. That was the pattern. Six days of work. One day of rest. Now the Christ has come. The second Adam. What did he do? He did the work that God had given him to do. He went into the grave. He rose and he ascended. And he entered into the rest that was promised to Adam. That is why the day has changed. Because things have been advanced as it pertains to the accomplishment of our redemption. Things have been advanced. You know, that's why the veil in the temple was torn in two, why there's no longer the Aaronic priesthood. All of these things have changed because things have been advanced. A new covenant is here. The practice of Sabbath keeping remains, but the day has changed to correspond to this new reality, the new reality of the new covenant ratified in Christ's blood. It's wonderful to consider And so I present these truths to you even now, brothers and sisters. I pray that you ponder them and that you learn to cherish the Sabbath day even more so. I've now labored a bit to convince you that the observance of the Sabbath day is bigger than the Old Covenant. All who have ever lived in the world before, during, and after them were and are obligated to worship God in the way He has prescribed. For men and women to fail to worship God alone, not with images, with reverence for His name, and with one day and seven observed as holy, do sin against God. To fail to observe the Sabbath day and to keep it holy is a sin. It is a sin. Now please allow me to make another important observation. A very special obligation to observe the Sabbath day was placed upon Israel when God entered into covenant with them in the days of Moses. 
Remember, the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. You will notice that Sabbaths is plural. I suppose this could be a reference to the succession of weekly Sabbaths, but I think it is much better to take this as a as a passing reference to all of the other yearly Sabbath days that God would add to the weekly Sabbath under the old Mosaic Covenant. Are you following with me? There is the weekly Sabbath day, but under the old Mosaic Covenant, Israel was commanded to keep other Sabbaths too. Sabbaths that were connected to uh, the Day of Atonement or to the Feast of Passover, etc. You understand what I'm referring to here. Those those, those uh, Sabbaths, uh, God did not expect the, the Gentiles to keep, but Old Covenant Israel was to keep them under the Old Mosaic Covenant. And by, by the way, this is what Paul has in mind. Paul the Apostle, uh, writing to the New Covenant Church, this is what he has in mind when he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. This is, this is actually kind of a tragedy, I think. Uh, in the Greek, the word translated as Sabbath here in Colossians 2.16 is plural. It is plural. Here it is translated as singular. Uh, this is what the text literally says. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, plural. What is Paul referring to? He's saying to New Covenant Christians, Jews and Gentiles alike, you are not obligated to follow the dietary laws that were unique to Old Covenant Israel. You are not obligated to observe these other festival days, the, the, the new moons, the festivals, or the Sabbaths that were given to Old Covenant Israel, for those were unique to them. Uh, but so many read this text and say, see, the New Testament says we should not be concerned with the Sabbath any longer. It's a misinterpretation of this text. Paul does not have the weekly Sabbath in view. In fact, he has uh, all of those festival days that were imposed upon Israel in mind. In fact, if you were to do a study and look up the phrase, festival, new moon, or Sabbath in the Old Testament, you will find that they constantly refer to the religious calendar that was given to Old Covenant Israel, not to the weekly Sabbath. Do not buy that argument. It's nonsense. The weekly Sabbath remains. The Lord's Day Sabbath remains. That is so clear in the New Testament. But that religious calendar that was imposed upon Israel under the Old Covenant, the Passover and all of its details, the different days that were given to them, those have been taken away and are no longer binding upon us. I think that is what is meant by the plural Sabbaths in Exodus 31.13. Under the Old Covenant, Israel was to keep not only the weekly Sabbath, but also the Sabbath days that were added in connection with the yearly festivals that were given to them, again, such as Passover and so on. I continue now in verse 13. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So are all people bound by God's moral law to worship God in the way He has prescribed? The answer is yes. Do men and women sin against God when they fail to worship God on the Sabbath day, treating it as a common day and not as a holy day? The answer is yes, they sin against the Lord. They will be judged for this at the end of time, by the way. For God will judge mankind not according to the old Mosaic law, but according to the moral law. But are you surprised that the godless do not honor the Sabbath day? Are you surprised by this? No, they're not going to honor the Sabbath day, for they're not even concerned to worship God at all. They're living for some other purpose. But Israel was set apart as holy unto the Lord... They were given the tabernacle and the priesthood. They were given the law. The promises of God concerning the Messiah were entrusted to them. And so a special obligation was placed upon them to honor the Sabbath day. It functioned as a sign that the Lord had sanctified them, which means He had set them apart as holy. He redeemed them. He entered into a covenant with them. The seventh-day Sabbath was made to be a special kind of sign of that relationship. Is not the same thing true for the people of God living now under the new covenant? 
It is. Yes, God commands that all people worship Him and in the way that He has prescribed. But when we observe the Sabbath day on the first day of the week, is it not a sign that Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, has sanctified us? Is it not a sign that we have been united to the one who rested in the grave and on the, on the seventh day, but rose again on the first? Is it not a sign that we rest now in Him and await the fullness of the rest that He has earned? in the new heavens and new earth. Yes, as we assemble together on the Lord's day, week after week, it is a sign of these things. Verse 14 says, You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. The Sabbath day is a day that is holy or distinct. It is a day to rest from common things and to be taken up in a different kind of activity, namely the worship of God, fellowship, prayer, and the contemplation of the things of God. It is a day to do business with the Lord in a way that perhaps we are not able to do on the other days of the week. And in verse 14b we read, Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Now here, we encounter the unusual strictness of the civil law of Old Covenant Israel. We have already agreed that all men and women sin against God when they fail to worship God as He has prescribed. They violate His moral law when they fail to observe the Sabbath day as holy. And they will stand guilty before God for this sin when they are judged on the last day, if not in Christ. But you will notice that in Old Covenant Israel, Sabbath breaking was a crime punishable by death. Sabbath breaking in Old Covenant Israel was a crime punishable by death. And I have warned you before that some of the civil laws given to Old Covenant Israel were unusually strict. They were unusually strict because this people had been set apart as a holy people. They had been set apart by God as a holy people to accomplish a certain purpose. And we must recognize this. No civil government today, no common civil government today should make Sabbath breaking a crime punishable by death. The church certainly should not take up the sword and punish Sabbath breaking with execution. Uh, No, instead we are not to use the sword at all, but we have a different weapon to use, namely the Word of God. Uh, The Spirit of God empowers us to do this. In fact, we are to be concerned with the discipline of the church, but not with civil penalties for uh, the breaking of civil laws. Notice the repetition, verse 14, "...you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you." Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. So there is repetition here. It's stated over and over and over again. I have told you before that the kingdom of God and the temple of God were prefigured in Old Covenant Israel. And here we see that our eternal Sabbath rest was also prefigured. And for this reason, some of the civil laws of Old Covenant Israel were very strict. It was not only murder that was punishable by death in that nation, but other heinous violations of God's moral law too. Idolatry, sorcery, even Sabbath breaking were punishable by death and Old Covenant Israel, just to name a few. The whole passage we are considering today is, in fact, very repetitive. I think this is to drive home the point. Verse 16, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath day throughout their generations, as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, He rested and was refreshed. I've already explained much of what is said here in verses 16 and 17. I I wonder if you would allow me to say just a few things about the word forever in these verses that I've just read before moving on to some suggestions for contemplation and and application. Allow me to say a few words about this word forever. I, I, I think you would agree that the word forever does raise some questions, doesn't it? Again, it is said that Israel was to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. We have just learned that the Sabbath functioned as a sign of the Old Covenant, but here it is said that this is to go on forever. How are we to understand this 
in light of what the Old Testament itself says about the eventual passing away of the Old Covenant and the making of the New Covenant? And what are we to think of what the New Testament says regarding the passing away of the seventh day Sabbath and all of the Sabbaths that were added to it? Uh, Can you see that the word forever in our text does raise some questions? What is meant by forever? Two things can be said. One, the Hebrew word translated as forever can mean for a very long time or perpetually while this arrangement remains in place. In fact, I think you can see this idea hinted at in verse 17, which says, It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel, that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, etc. So this is a special sign that I have given to this special people under this special covenant. So it does not necessarily mean this is to go on eternally forever and ever, but rather perpetually while this covenantal covenantal arrangement remains. I think that is a very important observation to make. In fact, if you were to do a basic word study on this Hebrew word translated as forever, you would see that often it does mean for a very long time or constantly for a long period of time. I think that is the most important thing to understand about this word forever because you will encounter it also in other texts that will raise the same questions. But there is another thing that I want you to consider. There is a sense in which These things that are said to last forever under the Old Covenant do, in fact, last forever and ever as they find their fulfillment in Christ Jesus and their culmination in the consummation of His finished work. Are you you tracking with me here? There is a sense in which the seventh-day Sabbath uh, lasts forever and ever and ever as it advances, finds its fulfillment in the culmination of Christ's work, His finished work, and its culmination in the new heavens and earth, namely God's eternal rest. There is a sense in which it lasts forever as it it advances and and finds its fulfillment in Jesus. I, I think this is something worthy of consideration. If I pointed to an oak tree and I asked you, will that oak tree live forever? Your impulse might be to say no, and in a sense you would be be very right. Oak trees might last for a very long time, but they don't live forever. They eventually die. Uh, You know that. They eventually die. They eventually decay. But what about the process of reproduction? What about the acorns? What about the old tree giving way to a new tree? So that in a way the new tree has the old tree within it. I don't know if that illustration is helpful to you, but there is a sense in which an oak tree will last forever until Christ returns to make all things new uh, through this process of reproduction so that the new oak has the old one uh, within it. I suppose in this sense we could imagine an oak tree living forever. And I wonder if something similar could be said of these features of the Old Covenant uh, that on the one hand were clearly unique to the Old Covenant and have passed away, but on the other hand, it was said of them that they would endure forever, using that terminology. Here's the clearest example of this that I could think of. It comes from Genesis 13, 14 through 16. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. There is that same word again, forever. Think of it. Did the descendants of Abraham eventually come to have that land as their own? Yes, in the days of Joshua they did. Did they remain in that land for a very long period of time under the terms of the old Mosaic Covenant? Yes, they did. Did they go on possessing that land forever, without interruption, forever and ever? If you know history, you know they did not. In fact, the northern kingdom was eventually uh, overrun, never to return. This is after the division, of course, of, of, of the nation of Israel. The southern kingdom remained, but was eventually taken captive in Babylon. So for 70 years, God's people, the descendants of Abraham, did not dwell in the land. The possession of the land was there interrupted. 
And if you know the history of the world as well, you know that uh, the people of Israel, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, uh, were expelled from the land as well. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and from that time on to this present day, I would argue the people of God, uh, as under the Old Covenant, have not had possession of the land of Israel, at least not in the same way. So, did God break His promise to Abraham when He said to him so long ago that this land would be given to him and that it would be possessed by his offspring forever? Did God break His promise to Abraham? Not if we consider this promise promise, uh, in its typological sense and as having been fulfilled in Jesus the Christ. We have to think of it in those terms. This land was given to Abraham's descendants, and from them the Messiah did come. And the Messiah did commission his disciples to go and to make disciples of all nations, so that the kingdom of God that was once confined to a small sliver of land in Palestine is now expanding. The land that was promised to Abraham has not been lost. It has been expanded greatly to the furthest reaches of the earth. And when Christ returns, what will He do except make heaven and earth one so that all is His, that all is filled with His glory? There is a sense in which this promise made to Abraham, uh, it is not just that the land will be His for a very long time, but eternally so, eternally so, without interruption. That those who are Abraham's true descendants will always possess the land. They will possess the new heavens and new earth forever and ever. If you you want to read the scriptures like a Christian, this is how you must read the scriptures. These promises find their fulfillment in Jesus the Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And they will come to their completion in the new heavens and new earth when kingdom, temple, and Sabbath are consummated. It's crucial to see. Let me conclude now by making a few suggestions for application. The first I have already made. I must exhort you, brothers and sisters, to continue to grow in your understanding of the Scriptures, which have Christ and His finished work at the center. Indeed, all of the law, prophets, and psalms find their fulfillment in Him and in His finished work. I am trying to teach you things, uh, specific things, As I preach Lord's Day after Lord's Day, I'm also trying to model something for you. I'm trying to model what it should look like to read the Scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, and to interpret them with Christ at the center. I pray that you will have the patience with me, that you will will put the work in that is necessary to learn to read the Scriptures in in this Christian way. We must learn to read the scriptures in this way. Two, as it pertains to the Sabbath, I would encourage you to ponder more and more its symbolism. Ponder more and more its symbolism. What do we often talk about when we talk about the Sabbath, the Lord's Day Sabbath? The do's and the don'ts, right? Uh, People often go straight there. So you're saying we're still to honor one day out of seven as holy unto the Lord, and now it's the first day of the week. Well, what can I do and what can I not do on the Sabbath day? I'd say that that question is not unimportant. But first, let us ponder its symbolism. For in pondering its symbolism, I think we'll end up answering the question of, of the practical. What should we do on this day? What does the Sabbath symbolize? It symbolizes our rest in God in the new heavens and earth. We must fix our minds on that. This day is, to fix our, is a day for us to fix our minds on heaven. You know, you're familiar with this teaching of Christ that we are to store up our treasures in heaven and not here on earth where moth and rust destroy. Uh, you're familiar with the teaching of the New Testament that we're to, to labor for the kingdom that will have no end. We're not to live for the things of this world. Well, the Sabbath day is a day to be reminded of all of that. To, to fix our minds on the new heavens and new earth, to have our, our minds and our hearts, our whole souls reoriented because you know that you go out into the world on Monday and you can be distracted and discouraged by so many things. But on the Lord's Day Sabbath, we have this opportunity to be recentered, to have our minds fixed on God and on His eternal kingdom 
and to recenter our lives so that we do, in fact, live for the life to come and not for this world. It is a day to contemplate God and to enjoy Him. It's a, it's a day to, to experience a, a foretaste of the rest that is to come. We are to draw near to God as we cease from our labor and from our recreation. And we are to find our rest in Christ. It's a marvelous day, but we must consider its symbolism or its significance. The Sabbath is a sign of these eternal truths. Three, I would encourage you not to forget the connection between the Sabbath day and the tabernacle or temple. Do not miss this connection. The two things, the Sabbath day and the tabernacle and the temple, or or the temple, are intimately related. In Leviticus chapter 23, the weekly Sabbath and also the Sabbaths of the Old Covenant are called holy convocations. A convocation is a public meeting or an assembly. Uh, Certainly, uh, these meetings under the Old Covenant would center around the tabernacle or the temple. And I am saying to you, brothers and sisters, that the same is true under the New Covenant. There remains a very tight link between the Sabbath day and the temple. Under the New Covenant, the same tight link remains. Christians are to observe the Lord's Day Sabbath and keep it holy. And this is not an individual thing, but it is to involve a holy convocation or assembly. This is why the writer to the Hebrews warned New Covenant Christians to not forsake the assembling of themselves together as is the manner of some, but to exhort one another and so much more as they see the day approaching. You you see, the the, the writer to the Hebrews is is taking these Old Testament themes, the, the, the Old Testament Sabbath, the Old Testament Temple, and he's saying they still remain under the New. And so... A Sabbath-keeping remains for the people of God. And do not forsake to assemble together. This day is still a day to assemble together. And you know, you have been told, that the church under the new covenant is called God's temple. It's not an individual thing. The Sabbath day is not a day for individual rest and refreshment. It is also a holy convocation. It's a day to run to the temple of God, to give worship to God publicly. It's a day to run to the temple of God, to have fellowship with fellow believers. And where is that temple? It is not in Jerusalem, made of stone. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you see, who dwells in you. It is a holy convocation, a day for public and also a private worship. Uh, You know, amongst professing Christians today, there are some who will say the Sabbath doesn't apply at all anymore because we're not under the law of Moses. They've badly interpreted the law in this regard. They've missed the fact that this is moral law, that there's something permanent and unchanging. But there are many, many more professing Christians who will say, yes, the fourth commandment still applies to us. We are to observe a day of, of rest because it's good for us. We need a day off. Have you ever encountered this view? And so it doesn't matter which day of the week you choose. Just be sure to take a day off. You know, you can't be a workaholic. Stop from your work and take a day to rest. For you, it might be Wednesday. For you, it might be Thursday. For you, it might be Monday. Just take a day off because God cares about you. He wants your body to rest. Is the Sabbath day a day for rest? Yes, it is. Our body should be refreshed on this day. Thank God for this wonderful gift even to our bodies. But there is a link between Sabbath and temple. The Sabbath day is not just a day for individual rest. It is the day upon which the people of God are to assemble together in the temple of God, the church, to give God spiritual worship. Do not miss this connection. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, help us in our Sabbath keeping. God, I pray that you would stir up our hearts to honor this day, the Lord's day, as holy that we would understand its significance and ponder all that it signifies, that we would look back to the first creation, that we would look back to the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week, that we would remember where He is now, seated at Your right hand. He has entered into His rest, and we rest in Him. That we would also look forward to the new heavens and new earth. We long to enter into the fullness of this rest that Christ has earned for us. 
We long to enter into the fullness of God's kingdom. We long to enter into the fullness, O God, of, of your temple and also the fullness of rest. God, I pray that as we observe the Lord's Day Sabbath week after week, that you would refresh us, that you would strengthen us, that you would refine us. O Lord, help us to fix our minds upon you and upon eternity, which Christ has earned for us. Help us to live for the kingdom to come and not the things of this world. In Christ's name we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen.